Welcome to The Gaggle, an AZ Central podcast where we chat with reporters, experts, and special guests to keep you fully informed on the state's political news. I'm your host, Yvonne Winget Sanchez. I cover national politics for the Arizona Republic. And I'm Ron Hansen, also a national reporter for the Republic. In today's episode, we are talking to Arizona Governor Doug Ducey. Thank you so much for joining us, Governor. Good to be here. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thanks for coming. Good to be back with the Republic. Uh, Governor, you delivered your sixth and longest State of the State address on Monday. In it, you outlined your plans for the upcoming session, uh, also sketched out your legislative wish list a bit. Um, We want to chat with you about that and get a sense of where the state is headed over the next year. The speech really stuck to some of your familiar themes, like economic growth, population growth. You also talked about your continued efforts to reduce government intrusion as well as education funding. You struck uh, an optimistic tone uh, throughout the speech, but you also are no stranger to these things, so you know that it's not going to just be happiness all the way through. Uh, You're going to have some choices to make and some legislators to contend with. Um, And you described this as the Arizona way. We want to find out what that means. So um, we look forward to hearing from you on that. Give us a sense of what you mean by the Arizona way. Well, when I say the Arizona way, I do think that we've done things differently in terms of a state with responsible governance, a a focus on opportunity. I've been talking about opportunity for all since the inauguration in um, 2015. I think that people didn't exactly know what that meant. uh, And it does mean a place where you can come and, and make your own way. I like to talk about the newcomers that have come to Arizona. You know, in part of the governor's conference, you get to know governors on both sides of the uh, aisle. And uh, one is Terry McAuliffe of Virginia. And he always likes to jokingly say uh, Washington, uh, Jefferson, Madison, McAuliffe. Meaning, you know, think of the giants that have been in in Virginia. Well, in Arizona, I mean, we have Goldwater uh, and McCain. Um, And, you know, of course, Sandra Day O'Connor is going to be in that same type of category, but we're really new. I mean, this is all fresh and and, and modern. And I do think that some of the obstacles that are in other places don't exist here, or if they've crept in, we can still strip them away. And uh, that's what we've tried to do, is just make it a place where people come from all over the country and it's a better place to live. A lot of people are coming here from other states. And... Uh, some of them aren't so happy with the state of education funding. I know that that was a top issue, obviously, in your speech, and it has been a priority for a couple of years. Um, But for parents and grandparents and teachers, can you give us a sense um, of how your priorities will affect them in a meaningful way in the classroom? Sure. So uh, I'll be held accountable for the time that I've been in office. And I think our our funding on education and what we've done to heal the budget and uh, repair it and, and add additional dollars is something I'm incredibly proud of. I do hear from people a lot on education. I hear something somewhat different. I think most people are happy with the school their kids are at, but they do think that other schools aren't up to snuff. Uh, this discussion about education funding is something that seems to dominate every, every year. So it's something that we've focused on. Uh, you know, we're going to have, I think, $4.5 billion in additional dollars in the first five years after we pass this budget. 
will hit 6.6 .6 billion in new funding. Of course, the 20% teacher pay raise. And I realize that there's more still to do, but I look back at, at the years in the early 2000s. If you look at those state budgets, to me, they seemed like they were almost a smorgasbord of spending. It was an all-you-could-eat buffet. And then the downturn came, and we went on a starvation diet, and it didn't help anyone and it did hurt some people and where we are today is on a sustainable healthy diet which we're able to be stronger and add more dollars to and I think it's a, a good plan and a strategy because another downturn is going to happen we just don't know when it'll be unexpected but it's inevitable so a responsible leader wants to not just take advantage of today or, or this session but think of had for maybe even something that would outlast this second term but to leave the state on strong footing so speaking of you know long term, there's a ballot initiative percolating that would seek to uh, come up with additional funding for education by taxing the wealthy. Uh, you've talked a lot about the kind of educational resources that you have steered into uh, K-12. Um, can you describe your why is there still that sense of uh, need for people to do this out there in the public, and how actively will you be involved in that initiative? Well, that, that's a tax increase just to have a tax increase. Those folks announced that tax increase, the, the government unions announced it four hours before I gave my state of the state. So without even seeing the amount of new investment that we had, the completion of the teacher raise, the other things that we were doing for universities and community colleges, they went and said, no matter what the governor does, we are going to go to the ballot to hike taxes. They're about a tax increase. And like I said in, in the speech, and it was written before they made the announcement, they fail to understand the reason people are coming to Arizona, the reason they're fleeing states like Arizona, or fle fleeing states like California to come to Arizona. It's not to import these bad out-of-state policies and hiking taxes when we don't need to hike taxes. I mean, I went through the metrics, you know, a billion dollar surplus in the general fund and a billion dollar balance in the rainy day fund. If it's more money we need for schools, we have more money. Let's go through the negotiation process. The, the budget's gonna be released uh, later today and, uh, and people can see what we're investing in. Do you think the state legislature leaders would ever invest enough money for this? crowd to be satisfied? No. Okay. No, there's 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 no satisfying the spending lobby. Uh, I will tell you in terms of uh, teachers and superintendents, you saw the superintendents that were at the uh, state of the state, the superintendents that I, I meet with mm -hmm. over the course of the year, they I would like you to talk to them, but I think they've seen a dramatic improvement in the relationship, not only with the governor's office, but in terms of, of funding and our way to, uh, to address needs and really listen to them. I mean, I want to keep the superintendents and the principals and the teachers in charge of the education system. I think that the state government should be in charge of the resource system. One of the other high priorities of, uh, on the education front that you talked about was the Empowerment Scholarship Account Program. And I know we've gone back and forth on this program for years now. You want to uh, make it okay for students on the Navajo Nation to cross over state lines into New Mexico to use um, money, this is taxpayer dollars that would have otherwise gone to their local school districts, but it allows them to use it for private schools, 
therapies and other kind of educational curriculum. You want to, to allow them to cross over state lines. I want the parents to be able to be in charge of their kids' education, where their kids have already been going to school, where the state has already been paying into the education right. savings account. I think this is an injustice to have the heavy hand of government say, no, uh, you're disqualified, you're out of bounds. Does this in any way run afoul of voters' rejection of Proposition 305 in 2018? No, I think that was a, a different issue. These ESAs were, were legal since 2010. They were for kids on the, on the Native American uh, tribal nations, uh, uh, children of military uh, personnel, and kids with special needs. I brought Adonis Watt to the state of the state. This is a remarkable kid, little kid. You know, yeah. a, a blind kid who's 15 years old, his mom has used an ESA to buy Braille textbooks for, for him. You know, he's also playing football. He's an undefeated wrestler. It's an example of, of where a parent knows better than the government. And uh, what I want to do is really uh, fix this injustice on what's happening on the Navajo Nation. Are you concerned about misspending with this program? I always am concerned about misspending, and I always think that we can do uh, improvements on accountability and transparency, and I think that's something we ought to invest in. Um, one of the things that you outlined in your State of the State involved uh, a, a tax break for veterans. There are roughly 600,000 of them. Uh, this is a tax break that would uh, cost the Treasury about $45 million. It's not an enormous amount of money uh, in the state's overall budget scheme, but can you talk about why that's a priority to do for you at this point? Well, I think one, uh, veterans are people that are in a, a category of public service all, all on their own. They're people that allow us to enjoy the freedoms that we have each and every day. I do think that veterans in your state make your state stronger. Uh, we have 600,000 veterans in the state of Arizona today. I think there's more we can do to say thank you and, and to honor these folks. I also look to improve uh, lower or simplify taxes every year. I think it's part of good governance. And uh, this year we're going to focus on uh, improving life for our veterans in the state and also make it a more attractive state for uh, veterans to move to and, and to relocate to. Yeah, you know, so on the taxes, um, you've been, you stated as a candidate back in 2014 that you wanted to get taxes as close to zero as possible. Um, this is another step uh, that you've been sort of taking throughout your career in, in the governorship um, with targeted small bore tax cuts. We have a surplus right now. When do we see you go big on tax cuts? Why not go for everybody uh, and take that big step? And if it's not now, is it time to say we just can't do that? Well, I look at it this way, Ron. I think that uh, responsible governance should be incremental. Um, it's what are the size of the increments that you can do. But I think if you try to go uh, too far too fast, you don't bring the public along with you and you may have something you, that you believe in. And if I could wave a magic wand, I would like to bring our income tax to zero. Um, but at the same time, we do have revenue needs inside our schools, our, our, our prisons, our health care system. So I want to do this in a way that's responsible and sustainable. In the last session, we were able to just, just a little bit bring uh, our, our top tax rate down from 4.6 to 4.5. We were able to go from, from five um, categories of taxes down to four. So these were incremental improvements. This is one where effectively for veterans, we are 
eliminating all state income taxes on their military pensions. So it's another step in the, in the right direction. And it's uh, also a position where we're not cutting anything. We're actually adding dollars and in investment. I mean, on one side, I'm getting hit because there's not <laughs> enough spending. On the other side, I'm getting hit because I'm not cutting enough taxes. And I think that may show that that's more of a responsible uh, reform and direction in which the state will improve. It isn't a politically or ideologically driven agenda. It's what's in the best interest of the citizens. Your reputation is being a button-up, pro-business governor. Uh, but it seems like the city of Tucson kind of got under your skin with their measure to become a sanctuary city. Uh, you have made great pains over your tenure to improve relationships with Sonora and Mexico city federal officials um, on a broader level. Um, but your comments in the state of the state came at a time when illegal immigration is declining. There already is heightened tension and divi divisiveness in, about illegal immigrants. So why, why go there? Well, first I want to say that Arizona's national reputation has never been better. Our relationship with Mexico has never been stronger. I've led that relationship. I am the ambassador governor, or Arizona is the ambassador state for relationship with Mexico. We led on the USMCA. We talk about this at the National Governors Association and the Republican Governors Association. Right, so why go so, here? Well, th this is separate and apart from that. This is a bad idea. Uh, it's something that will bring people together. This got clobbered in Tucson, okay, by Democrats and Republicans alike. It lost 70-30. Uh, but this is also going on in 560 other American cities. And just like the relentless spending lobby that is never stops asking for a tax increase, the people that want to see sanctuary cities will never try to uh, we'll never stop trying to get that passed in Arizona. The voters are going to have their say uh, at the ballot, and it'll be up to the people if they want this in our state or not. But I'm confident that they'll say yes to the rule of law and no to sanctuary cities in Arizona. So you're asking voters to weigh in on sanctuary cities. Uh, do you trust the voters to weigh in on tax policies like the ballot initiative for education funding? Oh, you have to trust the voters. You have to trust the voters. I mean, this is the public policy process is you want to get out and advocate uh, for, you know, what you believe in. And if you think something's a bad idea, you can make the case. And in the, in the position I'm in right now, you also have to prioritize. I mean, you can't uh, stop to comment on every barking dog. You want to, you know, f focus on the things that are the most important and most critical. So, um, shifting gears a bit, uh, you are very uh, conscious of the state's image, and I say that in praise. That's a good thing. Uh, we all remember where we used to be in, in many ways. Um, you've been somewhat slow, it seems, to weigh in on where you wanted to go on water policy. And uh, the Republics had a, a number of articles uh, uh, by Ian James and Rob O'Dell uh, sort of sketching out the problems with rural water uh, access for residents of Arizona who are effectively seeing water supply uh, drained out by, in some cases, foreign companies and sending uh, finished products over to the Middle East um, because of their uh, consciousness about water limitations over there. 
this seems very damaging to the state's image, that if we are seen as a desert state that is exporting its water uh, resources to foreign countries. I want to challenge back here okay. now, Ron. Okay. Uh, and the reporting by the Republic has been good, and I think Joanna Hall Hands has pretty much become a subject matter expert on this issue. But to say we've procrastinated on water, we passed the drought contingency plan last year. It was the most comprehensive water legislation in 40 years in the state of Arizona. Nothing had been done since the 1980 Groundwater Management Act. Nobody's better in the country than Arizona at water. We're basically the fastest growing state, number one inbound state in the nation. Maricopa County's the, for the third year running, the fastest growing county in the nation in the middle of a desert. And everybody that's moving here is building a pool and planting a front lawn. So we have uh, thought ahead here. Our state is in a good position, but we do have situations in, in uh, specified areas. There's enough water in Arizona. There's not always the right amount of water in every, uh, every location in our state. And so some different reforms are going to need to be passed. I did address that in the state of the state. I said, we don't want to deal with this one generation at a time. It should be focused, strategic, and ongoing in terms of water innovation. But nobody could top our water record. I think sometimes on the misreporting, um, when you're saying, hey, there's a Western water crisis. No, there's not. There, there's a California water crisis. There's no, uh, there, there's no crisis in Arizona. We do have some things that we need to deal with. And on some of these new things that are twists or curveballs, it is a place for someone that wants to see the government be smaller. This is a place where it is the role for government on how do we protect this most valuable of state assets that actually allows and sustains life here. And I think we've got a good record on it and we've got more to do this session. Do you think rural Arizonans are satisfied with the drought contingency plan that was uh, enacted that they no longer have concerns? Well, I would say they were satisfied with the drought contingency plan. They were part of the drought contingency plan. It certainly uh, was shaped by, by rural Arizona. You don't get something like that passed in the legislature unless rural Arizona's with it. But what they would say, and I agree, is that we're not done. And, and you know, you're never done on water. I talk a lot about the giants that came before me, the Carl Haydens, the John Rones, Bruce Babbitt's most recently, John Kyle. But it, it never happens in your time in office. You're actually thinking in Arizona, we try to think, it sounds insane, but it's a hundred years ahead. You want to have a hundred year water supply before you break ground to frame a house. And that's been excellent policy. That policy won't change. It'll only improve uh, under my watch. I would never uh, uh, let that policy morph so that we could just have faster growth for growth sake. That would be uh, irresponsible. That would be a sugar high. And I vetoed uh, two water bills in my second session because that's what they were asking for. And I said, it's not good policy. Can you articulate what kind of legislation you might be open to to regulate the well drilling issue that the Republic has written extensively about? You've got families who don't have water. I, whenever you're talking about these water uh, situations, and even when it's in uh, our out counties, you do need to bring all the, the people to the table. And I will give credit to our home builders, construction leaders, uh, agriculture community, and our tribal nations. Everybody had to take a deal that was a little bit 
difficult for everyone, and it's going to be the same way on solving some of these other situations, specifically when you're talking about some of the farms where there's exporting. I'm somebody who believes in the free market, but you can't take something that sustains life in, in Arizona and take that out of the state. I mean, this is Arizona's water, and I want to keep it in the state of Arizona. I want to shift gears on something else, uh, again, sort of back to symbolic value. You. Um, you spent some time talking about corrections and uh, some specific things that you want to uh, do as far as pay raises, for example, for correctional officers, but also just changing the name of the agency. It seems to be acknowledging a mission uh, purpose for the agency that maybe you didn't have to do. Uh, and to help us understand why you feel strongly about this issue. Why was this worth such a you know prominent uh, uh, part of you know a very important speech. Well, I think uh, Americans and Arizonans' minds are, are changing a bit on criminal justice. I grew up in a time where it was let's be on tough, you know, tough on crime and three strikes and you're out. And you, you know, if you were running for governor 30 years ago, uh, crime would have been a top three issue as you were running. Now it doesn't make most top 10 list. I mean, most uh, Americans and certainly Arizonans feel safe in their communities and their, their cities. And we're seeing these populations inside our state prisons. I think we have 41,204 uh, men and women in, in our prisons. About 99.4% of those people will get out of prison. Okay, they'll serve their time and have paid their debt. And what I want to do is make fo focus that they don't recidivate, that they don't make a bad decision and come back to prison. It's very expensive to house these prisoners. So I, I wanted to work, one, we had, we had some real issues uh, inside corrections. There were things that were neglected during the downturn. And we saw some of the reporting on what happened. And I thought it was an opportunity to, uh, with a new director, uh, uh, fresh thinking, and we wanted a change in culture inside corrections, that of course we're gonna have the prison part of it. And that's, there are bad guys, and bad guys committed crimes, and they, they need to be locked up and, and, and pay their debt. But we also want to, uh, I called it the second chance program. And uh, this is part of what we cut from the speech because we just didn't want it to be too long. But if, I, if there's probably something that I could have done differently, we could have named it something differently because many of these guys never had a chance to begin with, okay? You know, if you have a lo loving adult in your life or, or a parent or, or an education, you get the option to make better, op uh, better choices. A lot of folks that are inside our pre state prisons haven't had that, so we focused on uh, how can we help them? What educational supports can we provide? Can they get a GED, an industry certificate? The booming economy allowed employers who said we can't find people to work, and I said we've got people coming out of prisons, would you be interested in helping there? And I was surprised in the first year, uh, Connie Wilhelm and the home builder said yes, these people can, they can frame houses, they can hang drywall, they can become electricians, that's now expanded to hospitality and healthcare, and we even got have some coding classes inside. And then the other thought was, um, can we put somebody when they're in prison, uh, is there a way that they can make good choices while they're there, not join a gang, stay out, out of violent situations, where they could have an incentive where they can get their freedom faster? So I thought it was the right thing to do. I also think it's good policy, and it's going to save Arizona's money. Just a follow-up on that, uh, you're talking about closing the 
prison in Florence. Uh, do you think you have uh, a buy-in on that from the delegation in Pinal County? Well, there will be a, a, a process to do that. Of course, we didn't do that willy-nilly. We think that that will uh, in, in not only improve public safety, it'll allow us to streamline some things inside corrections. It'll save taxpayers $274 million over the next three years. And we also want to make sure that it doesn't hurt Pinal County or the city of Florence in, in any way possible. That prison was built in 1908. So this predates Shawshank. Okay. Oh, and, and uh, you, you know, That's an uh, uncomfortable comparison. Yes. Uh, and uh, along with, uh, you, you know, along with the neglect due, due to the downturn and the fact that people really weren't looking to put resources inside our prisons, people were looking to build more prisons. So calling it the, you know, the Department of Corrections, Rehabilitation and Reentry, and also being able to do something substantive like shut down a prison is a way to say, we want to look at this differently. I'm always going to come at criminal justice from the victims first. But I think we also, after folks have done this, paid their debt, they deserve an opportunity and they're going to get that in Arizona. You've spent a lot of time talking with voters in the suburbs, particularly uh, for the 2020 elections, to try to get a sense of what's on their mind. Parents and grandparents are very concerned about guns and schools and mass shootings. Can we expect to see you bring back your uh, red flag-ish uh, proposal? Well, I, I want parents and grandparents to know that I share their concern. Um, that is something that uh, keeps me up at night, and it's uh, something that uh, every time there's a breaking news alert. Uh, and I was back in Washington, D.C. in uh, 2015 or 16, I can't remember which, we have a, a governor's only meeting with the president and Rick Scott from Florida was there talking about what happened and I sat there and thought there but for the grace of God go any other governor here, why do we have to be reactive on this only? Why can't we be proactive? So we br did bring students and I asked a, a bunch of kids uh, that came to the governor's office, do you feel safe in school? Um, and what does is, what is additional safety feel like? Separately, I talked to teachers. I didn't delegate these meetings. I led all these meetings and I let them go till everybody had said what they had. Superintendents, principals, mental health experts, prosecutors, and, and law enforcement. Yeah, and we had a pretty good plan that we were able to put forward. Uh, it was only until politics intervened that we weren't able to get all of it completed. So yes, we're going to continue to not only invest in school safety, move good ideas uh, forward, uh, but we're also going to do things like more uh, counselors and cops on campus. I would say the biggest learning from those meetings, Yvonne, was um, if you remember, and I won't say the, the uh, person's name out loud, but the person that committed the mass shootings in, in South Florida. Everyone knew who this kid was. Everyone was scared of this kid. Law enforcement had been called 39 times to this individual. The, he'd be, been identified to the FBI, and he actually posted on YouTube that he wanted to be known as a school shooter, and they did nothing. Now, when there's uh, that type of individual that everyone's scared of, what the school leader said to me is, one, that's very, very rare, and two, we know who that person is. What, what they talked about was what's happening that's even m more insidious aren't the mass shootings, but the kids that are hurting themselves, the kids that are socially and emotionally disconnected, the kids that are depressed 
and lonely um, and taking their own lives. So we wanted to, to take those knowledges and learnings and bring a more comprehensive program. I do think you'll see additional uh, school counselors and cops on campus and additional dollars for behavioral health and how we handle mental health. And of course, there's also going to be that, that issue of guns. Our, our program's gonna address all of that. So speaking of extra dollars, uh, you're revealing the specifics of your budget proposal uh, on Friday. Can you give us a flavor of anything that we might expect, something that is noteworthy either for the size of the money or something that might be new? Any, any sneak previews? Well, I, I think in the state of the state, we, we went across the board in terms of uh, the preview or the highlights. I think the completion, of course, of the teacher pay raise, the fact to go from $4.5 billion uh, in additional spending in K-12 to 6.6 .6 is a pretty significant number and also shows, you know, we're just not meeting the, uh, the funding formula obligations. We're putting additional dollars. This Project Rocket that we talked about, this was a three-year test program that we started uh, out in the West Valley and saw dramatic improvements. And uh, I'm going to speak generally here. You can get oh, in trouble doing that. No, I'm going to speak. <laughs> I'm going to speak generally about what's going on in education, and you can get in trouble sometimes when you do that. So uh, understand that. Um, like I, no, I know there will be exceptions, but in our in many of our suburban schools, um, they're doing very well. Where where we're having issues is in our low income areas where there's where there's high poverty where there's uh, a lot of uh, free and reduced lunch kids and if we can close that achievement gap well boy we're going to be doing incredibly well as a state and nobody's figured that out there's no state yet that has figured out how to close that achievement gap so we saw great results I, I, I pointed out Betsy Hargrove and uh, Avondale and, and, and Wickenburg uh, and Deer Valley that came to the state of the state this project rocket is going to be something that's available to all low-income schools and we want to really focus uh, dollars that are targeted on, on uh, closing this achievement gap. So all of our kids have that same opportunity. Right. So we can't let you walk out of here without having a couple of questions about 2020. Sure. You appointed Senator Martha McSally yes. to the U.S. Senate. Can we expect to see you on the campaign trail uh, helping her along uh, as we enter kind of the the campaign season in a, in a few months here? So you heard the close of the State of the State speech, right? When yeah. I called out both Democrats and Republicans that had demonstrated statesmanship and said, let's prove that the campaign can wait that we can govern and, and address the people's needs. So that's my focus first and, and foremost. And then once we sign a die, once the legislature is out, I do believe I have a responsibility to advocate for the people that I think that are best to be in those positions. So yes, of course, I'll be out there, but I'm gonna focus on my day job first, and I think politics can wait. So you think you'll get out of the legislature Early? Well, our fastest legislative session ever was my first legislative session uh, in 2015. I'd love to have that type of timing, but we've got to give the appropriate amount of time for discussion and debate. Uh, there is additional dollars and people like to fight over it. Uh, but I, like I said, uh, it, when, when, when they're ready to vote, I'm ready to sign with the budget that I'm going to present today, uh, on Friday, um, I like that budget. If they want to sign it and sign a day, die on, on Friday, we can do that. Uh, but that's more up to uh, legislative leadership than it is me. 
Okay, uh, final question. Um, the Democrats think they have uh, the wind at their backs and they think they can retake uh, the House and maybe the Senate uh, in the next elections. Uh, how active should we expect Governor Ducey to be in trying to make sure uh, Republicans maintain their majorities? Well, I would say if 2016 uh, taught us anything, it would be to stay out of the prediction business. Uh, okay, so uh, we'll see where the voters are. I've got a result. Uh, I was able to take a message to market just a year before last. Seemed like we just pulled the yard signs out, uh, and it was a uh, it was a pretty significant uh, differentiation in terms of the the agenda that I want to move forward um, and and what my opponent wanted. I think if we stick to that, we have a good chance to keep a legislature that I can continue to work with and stay on offense uh, through January 2nd, 2023. Okay, that was not the last question. We have to throw marijuana question in here. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> you led the fight against legalization. I guess this is the beauty of the podcast, right? You just <laughs> you keep get to going. Just go, 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 but we really are almost done. Um, you led the fight against legalization of marijuana a couple of years ago? 2016. 2016? Oh, we were gosh. the only state in yes, the nation I remember. to defeat it. Yes, and it was largely because of all of the fundraising and the campaigning that you did against it. Um, do you anticipate getting that involved, um, this go around in the Citizens Initiative, or might we see something come out of the legislature to try to... Um, head this off. I mean, I would think that the legislature and you would want to keep control of where this conversation goes years well, from now. Well, I, uh, I don't expect to see anything coming out of the legislature. Okay. Um, it's going to be a matter of, of prioritization on what's happening at the ballot. It seems like there's going to be a lot of things at the ballot. I mean, my view on this hasn't changed at all. Four years ago, I was the dad of three teenagers. Uh, and I just didn't see how it was a good idea. We do have medical marijuana in the state of Arizona. I didn't talk about that or touch it one bit. And my uh, focus was more against Proposition 205. It was a terribly written initiative. It would have really dramatically affected the culture of our state. I want to better understand this, but I don't think that, you know, any state got stronger by being stoned. Uh, I don't think these are, are good decisions for, for people. Um, and, and I'm going to address it at the appropriate time. I want to better understand the, the details of, of the of the program. All right, Governor, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. We Thanks appreciate for having it. Me. Yes. Happy New Governor, Year. Thank, thank you. you, Ron. Appreciate thank you it. so much. You all right, quite a bit of news to come out of the interview with Governor Ducey, particularly towards the end on water policy and uh, a little bit on his budget and marijuana, what we can expect to see with him in 2020 campaign-wise. Ron, do you think Ducey, I mean, he's speaking very optimistically about the potential to get out of the state, uh, the legislative session quicker than normal. This is a campaign year, it's been done before, uh, but we've got a lot of money sitting around, and I expect there's going to be quite a bit of fighting about it. You think they're going to get out of there anytime soon? No way. I'll take that bet. <laughs> when there's money, there's going to be people fighting over what to do with it. So I don't expect this to be a fast session. It may be faster than what we've seen in, in some recent sessions, but there's no way this is going to be record-breaking, is, is my guess, especially given just the political tenor more broadly. Uh, I thought it was uh, notable how the governor wanted to um, 
talk about sort of legacy uh, in some ways, <clears throat> comparing the, uh, the state that he inherited and, and the, the sort of financial footing that they are on today. Uh, this seems like a governor who is looking ahead to the longer term. And um, it was notable to me to hear him talking about things like water, long-term vision and such. Uh, I mean, it just seems like this is a, someone who's in a different place than when you were covering him back at the dawn of his uh, administration. Yeah, I think uh, in the short term, at least, if he wants to tackle these issues like, you know, regulation of well drilling, um, school safety measures, uh, the budget fights, um, and education funding, we're up for a very protracted, long, lengthy session. So either some of this stuff is going to have to fall by the wayside or Democrats are going to have to come to the table real quickly and Republicans are going to have to, you know, maintain their caucus. And usually that doesn't happen on real controversial issues like this. You tend to have conservatives break away. That's right. And the governor has shown a, a penchant for being able to uh, bring people into line at the finish of the session. So uh, <laughs> all those crying, all those crying men that we referenced. That's right. Uh, there'll be some tears uh, as needed right on cue, but uh, they will find a way to get this thing wrapped up. Look, this is a governor who very much is in control of the state and, and this legislative process. I would expect that he is going to uh, wind up with a budget that is largely to his liking and is not going to allow uh, the state to meander in terms of uh, where they might go policy-wise and such. I think he knows what he wants to get, and he knows how to make it happen. All right, well, that's it for today, Gaggle listeners. The governor will be releasing his budget at 2 o'clock today. We will be covering it. Uh, our state legislative team, Maria Paletta, Ryan Randazzo, and Andrew Oxford. While we still have you, please don't forget to rate and review our show and share it with a friend. If you want to reach out to me on Twitter, I'm at Yvonne Winget. And I'm at Ronald J. Hansen, and that's H-A-N-S-E-N. Today's episode was edited and produced by Taylor Seeley and Marisa Dominguez, with oversight from Katie O'Connell. Thanks so much for listening to The Gaggle, a podcast from the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. We'll see you next week. 